Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadscco.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Sometimes what we often know changes what we do. What we know can change what we do and how we respond. We're in Romans again this week. We've been in Romans for quite some time. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans 12 today. And so the first 11 chapters of Romans tell this story of God and how he did something incredible for you and I, something that he did not have to. And here's what we know. We know that our sin left us separated from God and therefore condemned But because of the cross, he dealt with our sin problem, he declared us to be righteous in his sight, and he set us free from the slavery of our sinful nature. He provided this means for us to enjoy a a victorious and abundant life here on earth and guaranteed us uh, eternally to be living with him. And beyond that, he assured us that he is going to be faithful to every promise that he makes. There's not a promise that God has made that he has not followed through on. And and honestly, the first 11 chapters of Romans illustrates what an incredible God that we serve. It also illustrates how deeply that He loves and cares for us. And so Paul in in chapter 12 now shifts from from, uh, what we know about God and what He's done for us to saying, okay, now what are we going to do with what we know? Here's what we know about God in the first 11 chapters and what he's done for us. Romans 12 kind of shifts to, okay, what are we going to do about what we know? He goes on to say that when we have a genuine encounter with Jesus, transformation must happen. And the evidence of the transformation isn't what we know, rather it's what we do with what we know. And so this morning we're going to be in Romans 12, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we're not, it's not a ton of, of text, but we're really going to dissect the text. So um, if you would, let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12, and let me know when you're there. Are you guys there? All right, Romans chapter 12. So Paul begins chapter 12 with this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, therefore, I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. This is one of the things that I know about, about children having four of my own, and they're a wide array of ages from five all the way up to 15, is that children have little to no sense of urgency. Do you know what I mean? Children have little to no sense of urgency about anything. Trying to get four kids dressed and fed and off the church on Sunday morning on time is nearly impossible. And I credit my wife as being an incredible woman because she's able to somehow do it while I'm here uh, and, and not really offering much help. Here's the thing with my kids. I can, I can increase the volume of my voice. <laughs> I can animate my face in such a way that they should get a hint that they need to put a pep in their step. Uh, and I can, even le- I can even lovingly, of course, threaten them. And yet, they seem unfazed. They live their life at their own pace. Does anybody, else, uh, does anybody else know what I'm saying? 
And it seems to me that, that Paul senses that the Romans, who he's writing this letter to, need to have a little sense of urgency. I mean, think of it this way. If your boss says to you, I strongly encourage you to be on time to the next meeting, he's essentially saying, listen, if you're not on time the next meeting, we're going to have an issue, right? If, you, if your wife says to you, I, I strongly encourage you, men, your, hus- your wife says, I strongly encourage you to turn off the game. Take it from experience. You need to turn off the game. <laughs> My wife is pretty good about letting me watch sports, but Paul says, I urge you. Notice also that Paul doesn't say, he doesn't say like, I demand you to listen, or I, I command you to do this. He says, I urge you, I implore you, and this signifies that our response to whatever he's about to ask, which we're about to get to, this is, it's a willful, a willful choice that we make. It's a willful choice as opposed to responding at an obligation. Has anybody ever felt like they just had to do something? Like, I'm just going to respond at an obligation because I feel like I have to do it. That's not what Paul's trying to, trying to convey here. This is a willful choice that we make in response to what God's done for us. And so where does Paul's sense of urgency come from? Again, after 11 cha- chapters, Paul's moving from laying out the Christian beliefs to now in chapter 12, outlining Christian behavior, how we should respond. Behavior and habits... Are, are formed over the course of time. You don't just all of a sudden one day wake up and you have another habit. It's developed over the course of time. And I have this terrible habit of biting my nails when I'm nervous. I don't even know why. I just bite my nails when I'm incredibly nervous. And I started doing this when I was little. And I read, I know most of you know this, but I read somewhere that it takes about 21 days to break a habit or to break a habit. Um, a habit, yeah, or a behavior. And you see, the gospel should create in us a change. When we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the gospel, it should change us. When we recognize our need for Jesus, when we repent, it causes us to have a course correction. The encounter with Jesus, uh, it forces us to evaluate all of our behaviors, it forces us to evaluate our habits, Listen, we need to be asking ourselves, does what I'm doing, does how I'm living, does what I'm watching, does what I'm listening to, does it honor God? And if the answer is no, listen, it is time to make a change. This is a a point I want us to all consider and think about. You can go ahead and put it up on the screen. Action is the evidence of transformation. Action is the evidence of transformation. Paul's sense of urgency, at least to me, seems to somewhat come from his recognition that, again, it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to know what Jesus did. It's not enough to just know the good news of the gospel. However, what we do what we do in response to what we know that is the evidence of our transformation. When Paul says, in view of God's mercy, in, uh, in, in uh, verse 1, when he says, 
I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what he's saying essentially is, listen, in view of everything that God has done for you, in light of all the good, good, good things that God has done for you, and and all of us can attest to that. There's not a person in this room that can say that God's not done a darn thing for them. That is a lie. So Paul's saying, in, in view of everything that God has done for you, none of which we deserved, that is at its core the basis for our transformation. Like we change, we come to a place in our, our Christian walk where we change, and, and again, that's through the act of His Holy Spirit, it's not just because we work hard to change, but we, there's a change in our life because we recognize that the God that we serve did some incredible things for you and I that we did not deserve, and the, just the idea and the understanding of what God has done for us therefore causes us to change because we want to, in response to God, love Him, and we want to um, obey Him. We went to um, Myrtle Beach two years ago, and it was beautiful. I don't know if you've ever been, but we loved it. And we stayed right on the beach, and um, one morning I went down to the beach with my kids, and they're like, I love being on the beach. If it were me, I could lay on the beach for eight hours and not move. My kids, on the other hand, they want to do, they want to be here, then there, then back at the beach 20 minutes later. But anyway, we were walking down to the beach, and I see this red flag waving above the, um, the lifeguard. I'm like, okay, what is that? So I walk up to them, and he says, uh, I asked him about the flag, and he says that the flag means that there's aquatic life present in the water. Now, that can mean a lot of things. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, elaborate a little bit. And he, and he said, there's a lot of jellyfish in the water, okay? Uh, and I made the decision, okay, we're not swimming in the ocean today. <laughs> there's not, we're not swimming in the ocean today. Had he said there are sharks in the water, I would have said the same thing. We're definitely not swimming in the ocean today. But you see, what I knew, what I knew caused a change in what I did. Had I, not, had I not asked the lifeguard, what's the red flag for? And he tell me, there's a lot of jellyfish in the water. In my ignorance, I would have gotten the water. What I knew changed what I did. We went to the pool and nobody got stung. <laughs> James chapter 1, verse 22 says this. It says, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Another version or translation says, don't just listen to the word. And it said, essentially, you're, you're fooling yourself if you just listen to the word and not do what it says. You see, it's impossible to know and experience the goodness of God and what God has done for us and continue to live our own, for our own selfish interests rather than God's glory. And so if, if action is the evidence of transformation, I want us to see this too. Go ahead and put up this next point. God's mercy is the cause that moves us to action. If, if action is the evidence of transformation, we have to also understand that it's God's mercy that is the cause that moves us to action. And I said this already, but God's goodness, His compassion, what He's done for us, it should move us to respond. 
Not, maybe, maybe that's even wrong to say. It, 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 not that it should move us to respond. If we truly understand God's compassion, His goodness, and His love for us, it will move us to respond. In light of God's mercy, in light of the cross, in light of everything that He's done for us, our natural response should be to live a life that glorifies and honors God. God's mercy is the cause that moves us to action. I think sometimes we think, uh, and I'm guilty of this myself, sometimes we think that we can do certain things ourselves. You know, we can, um, you know, I'm a sinful person. I make mistakes. I have bad habits. And God, I just need to, like, God, just bear with me for a minute. Just give me some time. I'm going to get over this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through this. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying is God's mercy, what God has done for us, is the cause that moves us to action. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's because of what he's done. The hard question, though, and this is what I've been wrestling with all week, the hard question that God's, God caused me to ask myself is, is in light of all of this, in light of all that God's done for me, and I want us to ask ourselves this, you know, do I live a life that honors God or do I live my life for my own selfish interests? Does the way that I live my life, is it responding to His mercy, His goodness, His love? The things that I watch, the things that I listen to, the things that I say, the advice that I take from other people. Has my life lived in response to the mercy that God's shown me? Or am I continue to continuing to live my life for my own selfish interests, for myself? So let's, let's put some gravy on this. I'm going to put, <laughs> go through some application. So if, if action is the evidence of transformation... And what is it that Paul says we should do in response to God's mercy? And so there's three things in the text that we're going to read that I think is going to be incredibly helpful. And the first is this. Really worship. Really worship. So it's still in verse 1, it says this. Paul says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so we know that um, in the Old Testament before, before Jesus, uh, the atonement of sins, how, how that would take place is people would sacrifice a, a lamb or a bull, and um, they would, they'd put it on the altar and they would sacrifice it, and, um, and that would uh, be a kind of ritual for the atonement of our sins. And... Um, and so they'd take the best of their animal, they'd give the best animal, lay their best on the altar, and give the whole animal to God. Uh, because he, essentially, it's a, a sign to say, like, I'm giving you my best because you have given me everything. You've given me your absolute best. And so in response, I'm going to give you my absolute best. You've given everything from me, I'm going to give everything to you. And so... Um, when they do this, they, you know, they, this offering is God's. They surrender their right to you know, use this for anything else. It, it, this might be the best-looking uh, uh, cattle in the world. 
I mean, I'm thinking of like the juiciest, nice steak right now. Uh, and they could be thinking of like, this, this cattle would be like an amazing steak, right? But no, they, they put it on the altar. They say, God, this is completely yours. We give up our, our right to, to do what we please with this. We surrender our right to, to cut it up and eat juicy steaks with it. This is completely yours. It's no longer ours, but it's yours, God, to be used for your purpose. And, and this sacrifice in the Old Testament actually represents the sacrifice that Paul is saying uh, in this text this morning. Paul's saying, listen, offer your body, your whole life, your desires, your wants, the, uh, your future, uh, the, where you see yourself in five years. Offer yourself completely to God. Give it all to Him because He gave Himself completely for you. He's saying this sacrifice that Paul's Paul's calling us to is a declaration that we are no longer ours. When we, when we get to a place in our, our Christian walk where we surrender our lives to God, it means that our lives are no longer ours, but God's to be used for His purpose. And, and Paul goes on to say, um, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here's the thing, you know, when they would go and offer the sacrifice, um, th- they would have to kill the animal, right? That's what they're doing. They're sacrificing the animal. But Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't say offer your body as a, a dead sacrifice. He says offer your body as a living sacrifice. Here's the thing. Sometimes I think, honestly, as a Christian, it would be easy or it, be, it would be easier <laughs> to be a, a dead sacrifice than a living one. I mean, it can, it can be and, and I'm just speaking from my heart this morning. It can be so hard to do what God wants us to do sometimes. It can be so discouraging to fail. And we think that we, sometimes, we think that we'd be better off with, without the Lord. And that's foolishness, but sometimes we think that. But we, we would not be any good to God in this world dead. God, we would serve no purpose to God for us to be dead. And He wants to use us in this world. The problem with the living sacrifice, and this is kind of a picture I want you guys to see, is that sometimes we can go to God and we can say, God, I'm surrendering myself completely to You. God, I give You my life completely. My dreams, my, my plans, I give them to You completely. And then we climb down off the altar <laughs> For example, we, we lay our family on the altar, and then we jump down and demand our own way from some of our family members. We, we harbor a grudge, or we refuse to look at things from their perspective. We, we don't forgive them when they hurt us, and we refuse to put their best interests before our own because we're selfish. It's tough to be a living sacrifice. Or maybe we lay our, you know, if you're in this room and you're, you're dating, not married, you know, we lay our dating life on the altar. We want to be with someone. We want God to give us the person that we're supposed to be with. And then we, we jump down from the altar when situations, uh, when there are situations we know, like there are, our temptations will be more than we can handle, and we end up our, compromising on our convictions. This is me, not that, but the next one. Or we lay our tongues at the altar, and, and then we jump down the first time we're provoked to speak angry words. We let critical words slide from our mouths or we speak derogatory words. Presenting our bodies as a sacrifice is a decisive act that we make 
at, at some point when we, when we surrender our life to Christ. It's a willful choice. It's not a choice out of obligation. It's a willful, decisive choice. We come to a place in our lives where we say, God, my life does not belong to me anymore. And just getting to that place is hard. I mean, I understand that. We say, God, I give my life to you to use as you please. I want to do your will, God, rather than continuing to do this on my own. And I think what gets in our way sometimes is, and it could just be me, but I I think sometimes we feel like God owes us something. God owes us something. You know, we look at the situations in our life and, and we look at, you know, how things aren't going the way that we thought they would be going or we don't think they're going the way we sh- it should be going in the time frame we want it to go. You know, and God's not doing anything about it. And so we try to take things into our own hands and we, we jump off the altar. I just want to be clear about something this morning. God owes us nothing. God owes us nothing. Many times in my life have I prayed to God in frustration and anger, God, this is not fair. And we have to realize as Christians, you know, Paul could speak very clearly about this. Paul was persecuted. When we give our lives to Christ, we surrender our life completely to Him. It's no longer our will. It's no longer what we want. It's no longer whether we feel something's fair or not. Obedience to God, taking a step into what God has for us sometimes is going to cause, and, and this, isn't, this, isn't a, uh, this isn't something that people like to hear. Sometimes when we are be obedient to God, it results in things that are not great for us physically on this earth. Um, sometimes we face difficulty and persecution because of obedience to God. That doesn't mean that, that does not mean that that's not what God wants for us. So our surrendering our life completely to God to be used for His purposes, being made holy and pleasing to God, this is what Paul says is really worship. Surrendering to Him completely, being made holy, and that our life is pleasing to God, this is really worship. And so the first point is really worship. The second point is this, resist the world. Verse 2, Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Is this a familiar text to you guys, by the way? I, I thought so. I thought so. Have you ever walked into a dark room after being, um, like you're outside, especially in the summertime, and it's so bright outside, and you walk into a dark room and you can hardly see anything? And, you know, slowly as you're in this dark room, your eyes start to adjust and adjust more, and you start to see objects in the room or people's faces clearly, and after a while you can, you know, read. Here's the thing. The longer that we are in the world... The longer that we expose ourselves to the world's values, the more that we adjust to the world, the more we're going to find ourselves adjusting and fitting into the world. And and I, I speak from experience. 
You know, there are times in my life where, where I'm, I'm guilty of this. You know, what looked dark and sinful to us before all of a sudden begins to look acceptable and normal. And the world is squeezing us into, into their mold. Make no mistake. The world is trying to squeeze us into their mold. And if we're not careful, we don't even realize it. And often it happens gradually. It's not like one day and then the next. It's a gradual thing. And our spiritual eyes are becoming so accustomed to spiritual darkness that what I fear is sometimes we often prefer it. Our spiritual eyes are becoming so adjusted to spiritual darkness that sometimes we prefer it. We live in a culture that tells us, do what feels good, do what makes you happy, look like this, act like this, listen to this. And, and I can, you cannot even watch or listen to any form of media without being exposed to this. And what Paul is saying is that our aim should not be to fit in to our peer groups or to fit in at your workplace or to fit in at school. We are called to be set apart to stand out, to use a Star Wars term, as I love to do all the time, we are called to be the resistance. We are called to be the resistance. I just, this month started, and it's January, and you know, everybody does this, but I, I, I try, I'm trying to eat healthier this month. And so I've not eaten carbs, and I've stayed away from sweets, and I've done, I'm 12 days in, and I've not eaten any, yeah, thank you, Gabe. I've not eaten any, like, sugar, nothing like that. For the most part, stayed away. Everything has carbs, but, I mean, breads and stuff like that. Okay? Um, but does anybody else feel like when you're dieting or you're trying to eat healthy, you turn on the TV, and it's like every commercial is like a double cheeseburger with bacon. I don't know what it is. And maybe I'm just noticing that more because I'm desiring that. But can I tell you something that I really have been craving? You're going to laugh, but I'm dead serious. Show them. This is what I've been craving. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But that cakey, cream-filled goodness. And that cowboy doesn't make it any better. But my gosh, I would love a Twinkie right now. Ding-dongs are better. I don't know. Yeah, my kids love zebra cakes. Okay, so here's the thing. I know what I'm doing right now is beneficial. Like, I know in the long run it's great to my health. um, But every day is a challenge. Like, every day, because I've been eating a certain way for the past, you know, however many years... Every day, it's hard to say no to sweets. It's hard to make your children dinner and eat something else because you can't have that. It's difficult. It's a challenge every day. I guess what I'm saying is, like, I'm not standing up here ignorant and saying, like, I know that, you know, asking, Paul asking us not to conform to this world, like, that, that's easy. You know, I, I know that resisting this and resisting our cultural our, our culture is difficult. And I don't I don't stand up here this morning pretending to be any innocent of, of what Paul's trying to implore us not to do. I myself have have tried to fit in. I myself have said things that I know that I shouldn't say in order to 
to fit in and to get a laugh from people. Paul says this, so, so consider this, Paul's writing this, he says, do not conform to the world. And then Paul also writes this, and um, let's, go, let's pull up the next text, Romans chapter 7. He says, I, you know, I've discovered, discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind, the power that makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he says, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. In order to resist temptation, because if Paul's saying this, and we have to understand, when, when, when we are tempted to conform, and in and, and Romans chapter 7 this isn't about conformity, but I think it relates to what we're talking to about. When Paul's saying, listen, when I'm struggling with sin, it should, it should let us know that the greatest evangelist for the Christian church, if he's struggling with this, then we have to know that we're going to. And in order to resist the temptation to fit in, to conform, we have to, we have to, I want to say it again, we have to rely on Jesus Christ as the means by which we resist. We cannot do this ourselves. We cannot just make the willful choice in our own mind. All right, I'm going to make the choice myself. I'm not going to be like the world. Because here's the problem. If we do, we're going to fail. We're going to. Perhaps our problem is this. We say, Lord, I'm not going to conform you know, I'm not going to fit into culture. I'm going to try my best not to fill in the blank. And we resist in and of our own strength. And maybe for a little while we do okay. And inevitably we fail. And we feel like failures. And then we, what do we do? What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned in the garden? Hide, hid from God. Then we hide from God because we're, we feel so sinful and we feel terrible about it. And God is saying to us this morning, he's like, listen, I, I know that there is nothing that you can do on your own. You cannot conquer sin on your own. You cannot attempt to be set apart on your own. And I think we forget about this, but God wants to remind us, like, why do you think I sent my son? Why do you think I sent Jesus? Why do, you, why do you think I've given you a helper in the Holy Spirit? The solution to our need and desire to fit in, for our desires to want to go along with the crowd, for our sin problem is Jesus. And as Paul said at the end of chapter 7, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So present your body, resist the world, and the last point is this, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Paul says, be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform means to change from one form, to, uh, from one form into another. And not just, uh, transform doesn't just mean outward appearance, but this is a total transformation. God wants us to undergo a complete total transformation on the outside and at a heart level, on the inside. Our character needs to change. Our thought life needs to change. 
And when you, th- when you think about it, it's, it's almost like a caterpillar changing into a butterfly, right? Like they look completely different in this transformation. Caterpillar goes in the cocoon, comes out a butterfly, and looks and acts totally different. Caterpillars can't fly. Butterflies can. But sometimes what we do is, you know, if we were a caterpillar wanting to fly, wanting to change, we would be the caterpillar that tried to glue wings to its back and tried to fly away. Obviously, that's not going to work. But there has to be a change from the inside out. It has to be a transformation. And God asks us to be experiencing continual change day by day that brings us more and more and more like Christ. Instead of being squeezed into looking like the world like we were just talking about or or fitting in or doing things that we know that we shouldn't do to fit in, what Paul says is we reshape our lives so that we look like Jesus. And how can we do that? What's the first step? The first step is renewing our minds. Have you ever heard this phrase, you are what you eat? You are what you eat. Just as our body, you know, feeds off of what we put into it, right? Uh, and, and sometimes we don't put good things into our body. Um, but our body feeds off of what we put into it. Our minds do the same thing. When we allow the world to shape our thinking, we are going to live like the world. That's just, that's just the truth. But when we allow God to shape our thinking, we are going to live fruitful lives that honor and glorify Him. And I really believe, honestly, this concept of renewing your mind is, is probably one of the most import, important concepts in the entire Bible. If you want to change the way that you live, if you're in here this morning and you know that there are some habits that you have that are, are contrary to what God calls us to, if there's some ways that you're living that you, you know that are contrary to wh- the way that God calls us as believers to live, and we want to change the way we live, we have to change the way we think. And to change the way we think, we must change what we feed into our minds. We have to change what we're feeding into our minds. And so this is going to be hard to hear. So what are you feeding into your mind? What kind of music do you listen to? What do the lyrics in that music say? What books and magazines do you read? What movies, what TV shows do you watch? You know, what are you looking at when you go, you know, online and nobody else is around? Who is, who, whose advice are you listening to? All of these things are feeding into our mind. Everything that we allow our eyes to see and ears to hear are feeding this thought pattern in our, in our mind. And if we're feeding our mind with the views and the values of the world, we are going to continue to act and live like the world. That's just the way that it is. But if, on the other hand, our mind keeps on being made new, and that's a daily process, as I said, 
Surrendering our mind and our thought life is a daily process. But if we do that, and our minds are keep being made new by the spiritual input of God's Word as we're reading His Word, as we pray, we have Christian friends that actually want to encourage us and to lift us up and to speak truth to us, even when it's hard. Like when those are the things that, that are being fed to us, our minds being transformed as we submit our mind to Him, our minds being remade or renewed. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I want to invite the worship team and if we have anybody from the prayer team. Paul concludes verses 1 and 2 by saying this. He says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Does anybody ever, like, do you ever ask, like, I, I want to know what God's will is. Does anybody ever think that, like, God, what is your will? I, th- I think that all the time. And Paul's saying, listen, this is, this is the, the, a summary of, of the whole text that we just read through. He says, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, to renew your mind to really worship by offering your body as a living sacrifice. By resisting the world. And by doing these things, surrendering yourself to Him, committing your life to Him, by doing these things, then you will be able to test and, and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. 